Scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In this same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Amen. Thank God for his word this morning. That song was awesome. Uh, that was a brethren hymn. That was a sweet song. I, I don't know where you're at in your, in your life as a believer, but there's nothing, nothing like being called of God when God reaches down in your heart and asks you to do something. If you've ever been called, the first thing your heart does is it's like you're having a heart attack. And then you're ready to go. Let's go, Lord. And you say, wait a minute, what are you doing, cat? Talking to the Lord. What's going on here? My heart ain't beating so fast now, I'm in a mess. And then you're ready to withdraw. But the call never leaves you. The call is always there. It's always a part of who you are. And that song, that song uh, was phenomenal. There'll be nothing on the overhead this morning. Um, I'm just going to go straight from the word and just speak it how I got it, if that's okay. Uh, not using any notes. But the Edict of Milan in the year 314 A.D. set an easement from the Roman emperors of persecution of Christians. Up to this point, Christianity was forbidden and people were being killed for their faith. The Roman Empire had split temporarily in two. An emperor named Constantine served from the west and an emperor named Licinius served from the east. These two guys decided to come together and give an easement for the persecution of believers that they had a right, so to speak, in society to live as they wanted to live. And I'm going to jump all the way up into the 17th century to say that at some point the church and the state really melted together and to begin to function as one. So that by the 17th century there were some state churches, for instance... A guy named Thomas Cranmer uh, helped build the Church of England. Today we know that as the Episcopal Church. In Switzerland, the Reformed Church was a guy named Ulrich Zwingli and John Calvin helped solidify the Reformed Church. And the state I'm going to talk about most this morning that reflects us as a congregation is Germany. Germany had three churches, organizations that was recognized. The first being Catholicism, the Catholic Church had a big pull in Germany. The second was the Lutheran Church, Martin Luther, from which came the Protestant Reformation and all the Lutheran churches in America. And then the Reformed Church, once again, which in America is represented by the Presbyterian Church. Now, in this Reformation, people, men of God, have always sought God to ask the church to reform itself, to change to revive itself, to come back to God and come back to Jesus Christ. And men who started, if you will, these new denominations or new, these new works asked three things of these state churches. The question was asked, who is the church? What is the nature of the church? 
and how is the church made up and who governs this church that we have? The second question he asked was liturgy. What kind of liturgy should be performed in the church? What makes up proper worship in the church? Is the church only to be spoken one language or it can be done in different languages when you come and worship the Lord? What is the liturgy to be like? And the third thing they asked about was doctrine. What is right doctrine? What is false doctrine? And what do we believe? And the men and people that came together to ask the church to reform got frustrated. They were frustrated with the leadership of the church. The church had become so connected with the state that it became lax in its spiritual life and who they were as believers. They were content right where they were at. They no longer wanted to move. They thought the liturgy was too formal. We have liturgy here. Every church has liturgy no matter what church you're in. You welcome people. You have announcements. You have singing. You might have running. You might have shouting. But everybody has some kind of form they go by in a church. And the people said you've become so formal and so ritualistic you forgot the nature of the New Testament church being free and worshiping God and having the Holy Spirit move in the midst of the congregation. And they said, you got bad doctrine. For instance, one of the questions asked, who is Jesus? Was he fully God? Was he fully man? Or was he just a man who pretended to be God? How was one saved? Does man have free will or does man not have free will? Does God predetermine man's existence ever before he was born? How is one baptized? Is there a certain mode of baptism one must take? Can you be baptized in the Trinity? And if you are baptized, then you have to be baptized three times, once for the Father, once for the Son, and once for the Holy Spirit. How is one to be baptized? How is one to learn and study the Word? They were very frustrated, and they asked the church, Would you please repent and return to the living God? Through one of these movements came Alexander Mack and seven people. They, in particular, talked about adult baptism and how one should be baptized. What is the mode of this baptism? Alexander Mack and these seven people are the ones who really formed what we know as the Brethren Church. So whatever Brethren name is out there, Alexander Mack and his followers had a hand in that. Grace Brethren, First Brethren, Brethren Brethren, the Natural Brethren, the Former Brethren, the Dunkard Brethren, the Old German Baptist, the New German Baptist, I will name no more. You got my point. Whatever they were, they come from this organization, from Alexander Mack. Even though he had no desire to form a new denomination, he just wanted people in his own way to get closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it funny how seven people can change the world? Seven people can change Christians around them, be an influence to unbelievers, change their society, change their nation, change their culture, and change their world. Seven people with the heart of God wanting to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and putting him first in their lives has a change on everybody, and we are a result of that change today. I kind of think that's what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, he's talking about being a kingdom person that being where God rules in your heart. Not in ritualistic rules 
and commandments on the outside, but he rules in your heart Well, you will serve and follow him. I'm not going to go to a big background about all this stuff. I'm just going to cut right to the chase and talk about salt and the little salt shaker. Salt, there ain't much to it. It's really hard if you grab one little grain. It's hard as a rock, man. But when that salt gets spread out on something, it has a big influence on whatever it touches, does it not? It preserves. People use salt to preserve things. But if you cut your finger or cut the inside of your mouth and let one of them little grains get in there, brother, that's going to burn. Salt can burn you. Salt is hard as a rock. Salt has a covering around it. Salt does a lot of things to help mankind out. But Jesus says we are to be the salt of the earth. That individually we may not be all that there is, but collectively when God throws us out there as salt, he causes us to change the world. And we are to have an influence in the world by the way we live, by the way we talk, by the way we work, by the way we act. You are the salt of the earth, he says. So you send out preservation to everybody around that there is a way that God wants man to live and he wants man to act and he has a way that he wants man to be in relationship with him. You are that salt. You have preservation to keep man from going nuts and doing his own thing. Even though salt burns, salt also brings healing. We are the salt of the earth. Jesus Christ working in our hearts and working in our lives, we can bring healing to a broken person. And when I say we can bring it, you and I don't bring it, but God in Christ through us by the power of the Holy Spirit brings healing to a broken heart. We are the salt of the earth and God has called us to bring that healing. But salt has to be hard. Hard in a sense, you better be ready to go into the rough places. You better be ready to go and defend your faith because people are going to come after you. They're going to look at you and talk about you and question you and say, you're not a believer. You don't know Jesus. There's many gods. But you have to be hard in a sense to be dedicated to your faith and who you are. But salt also has a little covering around it. Now, most of us see the salt. You know, you can tell salt from pepper uh, between the collars in it or whatever. But salt has a covering. Our covering is the blood of Jesus Christ. Our covering is the Holy Spirit. Our covering is the word of God. All of that protects us. So when he slings us out of the salt shaker and he says, go be my people, spread my word, do my will and follow my ways. He says, I'm with you. I will watch over you, I will cover you, and I will protect you because you are the salt of the earth. Now, there's nothing like salt in the summertime for Brian. Brother, you get that grill going, get me some corn on the cob. After you dip that joker in some butter and bring it up, you salt that bad boy. When you salt that bad boy, here comes the flavor. And I like watermelon. I can eat watermelon without salt. But somehow when you sprinkle just a few little things on that watermelon, man, it makes that watermelon pop and makes it taste good. Christianity, believers bring flavor to life. 
There is flavor to being a believer in Jesus Christ and being his follower. There's nothing wrong with the things we have. There's nothing wrong with the things we do necessarily. But the flavor is that we do it for the glory of God and for his honor and for who he is as king of kings and lord of lords. Two men work at the same place. One is a believer. One may not be a believer. The believer may cut off his finger on the soul. Well, glory to God, there went that finger. The other said, well, you're a knucklehead. Why are you thanking God for that? I'm not thanking God because my finger went flying. I'm thanking God because he's my Lord and he's my king and he's going to help me work this out. Now go get my finger so we can put it back on. Things happen to the believer and the non-believer just the same. Our teams win, our teams lose. Men on the team. There's a believer on the winning team. There's a believer on the losing team. As if God respects one team more than the other. He don't. He respects the heart of man. There's flavor in Christianity and we should not lose that flavor. We are his followers. We are his believers. But any church that has a reformation, they want to have a reformation in the reformation. If the salt has lost its saltiness. In other words, if the church continues to grow and prosper, it seems like God is with them. But when the salt loses its influence, the food don't taste any good, throw the salt away. When the church loses her influence, we're nothing. It's just the way it is, man. I'm reading all over the place. Churches are failing. Churches are dying. Churches are going away. Now you talk to young people. What do they need the church for? Church ain't never done nothing for me. You don't do nothing in the church. That's my fault as a believer. You see, every year we give and we give and we give and we have no bear to say no a Christian should not be this way. A Christian should not act this way. And a Christian should not do these things. But in the case of love, we say do whatever you want. Act whatever you want. Do whatever you want and be whatever you want. And now the young people say you have no God. I'm telling you right now, when I was a youth pastor, one of the biggest things that frustrated me was the hypocrisy between the adult leadership and the children. The adults could get by with murder, but the kids couldn't get by with squat. So I called the meeting one day, and this is probably what got me fired. <laughs> I said, I'll tell you what. Now, I'm not agreeing with what is happening, okay? Don't, I, I hope you hear me the right way. None of you kids can smoke. Smoking is evil, rotten, and vicious. Don't smoke, you'll go to hell. I got called in. I said, no problem. I will go tell everyone in my youth, don't smoke. But I said, and I pointed out the leaders, I said, you, 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 and you, let's all walk outside of the front of the building, and every adult that puts a cigarette in his mouth and gets in that truck and starts driving off, you tell them they can't do it. Well, we can't do that. For Brian, that's hypocrisy. I might be wrong, and you might kick me out today. Cool with it. But by George, you cannot say you're going to do one thing and tell your kids to do something else and you live contrary to that. That's my fault. That's my fault. 
I should not have been like that. So I always protected my youth and my kids. Because that's the first they see is hypocrisy in the believer. And that's happened today. And so when people say young people won't come to church, they want nothing to do with church, they don't want to be around church, I agree. Because we've not lived the life that we said we should live to the King of kings and Lord of lords. The salt has lost its flavor and has lost its saltiness and God wants nothing to do with that. Jesus says, just cast it aside. It's good for nothing. All these denominations that are fighting, they're fighting over a few issues. They break off and they go start another one and everybody gets excited. But realistically, year after year after year, the church as a congregation is dying. It don't matter if they have 7,000 and they're all hyped up. If a life is not changed and turns to the Lord Jesus Christ and serves him and loves him and follow him and puts him first, the church will die. We all have rights. All of us have rights. Every church has right. Every believer has right. But why is it we're always asking, it is my right as a Christian to do this or not do this? When will we ask, what do you want me to do, Father? What pleases you? What honors you? And what lifts you up, whether it's right or wrong? What glorifies you? Why don't we ever ask that? Why do you always bicker and say, it's my right? When the salt loses its stuff, Jesus says, just throw it away. But then he says, you're the light of the world. The believer is to set out high and shine his light to everybody all over the place that there is a king, that there is a Lord, that there is an alpha, there is an omega. He's king of kings and lord of lords. We sit as a light and we should not hide what he has done for us. We should not hide what we believe about this word. We should not hide who we are. I'm a Christian. I have certain beliefs. I'm a King James guy. Other guys will rip me wide open. Say, hey, you just don't know nothing, Brian. I, whatever, dude. I'm King James. You can be whatever you want to be. I'm, I, I, I've studied it like everybody else has studied it. You know, everybody says that. But know who you are in Christ and stand where you stand. I've been ripped a lot. Probably be ripped even more. I imagine I'll be ripped till I die. I'm just hoping on judgment day God don't do it. I hope he don't jump up. I, I say I'm trying my best to follow you and serve you. But know who you are in Christ and stand on that word and don't be swayed by nothing else. We must be the light to the world. This is what Alexander Mack and those seven people wanted to do. They wanted to be God's peculiar people by the way they were baptized. And when they were persecuted in Germany, they set off to the Americas, and now look what happened. America just boomed. Now to cheer you up a little bit, because this is my last Sunday on missions, I said all this to talk about the missionary nature of God and how the Brethren Church is a missionary-minded church, and I believe you are recipients of that missionary nature, and I believe you are a missionary church. And so this morning, I want to focus on three things I believe this church does 
as missionary people, and I want that to be our focus for this year. These three things I want us to focus on in our missionary nature to please the Lord Jesus Christ and to serve and follow him. That makes us, I believe, what makes us a missionary-minded church. That makes us salt and makes us light. Because in the end, Jesus says, let your good works be known to all men. Did he not? Now a good Baptist or Presbyterian who might be accidentally listening, they'll just jump and say, oh my gosh, he's saying they're saved by works. I need to go to that church and set that man straight. Didn't say that, did I? I didn't say you're saved by works. He said, do the works and let everybody see that you may glorify your Father which is in heaven. These are three things I want us to focus on this morning. And I say that is because of my time with you. This is the ministries that I see you're already doing. And I hope we continue to do them. The first one is Heifer International. Heifer International is a big work here. I'll say it again. If you go out these doors and look on the overhead, you'll see all the awards you won. I brought one here on our first Sunday of a Mission Sunday to talk about the Heifer Project. But Heifer International, it was laid on somebody's heart to do it and to spread God's word through this ministry. It's an awesome ministry where you give animals or you give something to somebody else so they can sustain and take those animals and give those animals to somebody else so that everybody can have a job and do what needs to be done. Heifer International is a big part of this church. And I hope you will make that a part of your missionary giving. I'm coming to understand when you guys give your finances, uh, you give in just a general, you're giving, unless there's a call for something special, and then you'd give for something special. Am I right or wrong? Okay, you, you give, right? I'm hoping in the future you will designate just a part of your thinking and praying for Heifer International so that in December we can send them $3,500 and send them what's called the whole boat. That's everything in the boat. I don't know, the, the, the cows, the animals, and all these things to say, we want to bless somebody through Heifer International, because God has so blessed us and so has touched us. Now, me and uh, Clint have been talking about this. He's going to be giving a presentation again in March about Heifer. He's going to do it once a quarter. But we really want to make Heifer International our primary missionary work in this church. You've done it in the past. You continue to do it. But we want to grow it and we want to expand it. And we want to ask God to use whoever we send this to that somebody would know Jesus Christ and accept him as Savior and their lives would be changed and change the life of somebody else. Heifer International is our number one missionary goal. Number two is the Brethren Disaster Relief. I've only seen that in action one time and I think that was for the flood. It came on the prayer message. I came up, I believe it was on Saturday morning, and people just started driving by and bringing things. But I think, brethren, disaster relief is a missionary uh, mission we need to be involved in and need to make it a part of who we are. Now, my understanding was when the prayer went out, people brought the supplies was needed. I thought that was cool. I'd asked the guy in um, Inglewood, that's where we went to, tell me a church that is struggling. I know unbelievers are struggling, 
And this is no slight on them. But tell me, believers who are struggling, are there any pastors who maybe have lost their job because of this disaster and they have no income and they have kids to take care of? Give me that preacher's name so we can help them out. Is there any believers in a congregation who's lost it all? Talk to me about the believers who've experienced loss because we are to take care of them first and foremost. There are brothers and sisters in Christ and we have a responsibility to them. And I hope I've laid a pretty good foundation in the past of how the New Testament church went to other churches and said, here, take care of the poor believers. Or when somebody accepted Jesus Christ and he lost his whole way of life, how would he survive unless the church came in and says, we're your brother and we're your sister. We want to help you grow. I really hope that we continue to make the Brethren Disaster Relief, a big part of our missions. And the third one that we do that I'd really like to hone on is the nursing home. I'm telling you, man, nursing home, that's, whew, that's a rough place to be. I'm just telling you, it's a rough place to be. And they're lonely. And I'm just talking about our church people. As far as I know, we have one, two, three, four I believe there's four from the congregation now that's in the nursing home. And the deacons do a very, very good job of calling on them, going and seeing them, and taking them supplies and stuff. But I really uh, want to make those in the nursing home a focus. Those believers, Christian believers from our congregation who's in the nursing home, a focal point. Now, you guys know um, I had been going every Monday night. Some things that happened where I couldn't go every Monday night. So then I started popping in on a Saturday or an off night just to be able to see them once a week. And then take them communion on communion Sunday, one Sunday a month. But I'm asking you to join with me to minister to those who are in the nursing home. To say we love you, we care for you, and you're still a big part of this congregation. Also... I believe we probably have people that are in their homes that can't get out to church who's not in the nursing home, but they can stay at home. I've visited one or two, uh, but I would like that to make that a part of our visitation. Brethren are all about visiting. Used to be you take bread to the home for a new visitor, knock on the door, say hello to you and all that stuff, but why don't we make that a part of who we are? Sacrifice a little something of us to give to God for his glory to somebody who laid a foundation for somebody else to be saved. I think Heifer International, Brethren Disaster Relief, those in the nursing home and those who are shut in at their houses, and if you know anybody in the church that's shut in their house, they want to visit or want communion, let me know. I, I really am working hard to get a dead set schedule on doing this. I've, the nursing home, I've got somewhat because of the when people get sick and they have their COVID restrictions, I didn't know you couldn't go from one joint to the other. I got, you know, I didn't know. I just go. <laughs> but, you know, that, anybody at home, nursing home, let me know because I, I want us to be a part of that. I want us this year to really focus on that as our missionary nature. And if, you know, in December, if there's a vote that I'm allowed to stay in the church, we're going to grow as a congregation in our missionary outreach. We're going, to, we're going to extend ourselves and we're going to say, Lord, we want to grow in you and be what you want us to be. Maintaining our brethren tradition, who we are, but asking God not to form to us, not say, make us be brethren, only do brethren things. But Lord, we're your followers. We're your people. 
put in our hearts what you want us to do to extend your kingdom here in this church, in our homes, in West Alexandria, and around the world. We want to be your people. And for now, Lord, this is the three things that we're asking you to help us with. Heifer International, Brethren Disaster, and those that are stuck in the nursing home, not stuck, but are living in the nursing home, and those who happen to be in their houses at home. I'm asking you to work with me on that and just make that a part of your prayer life and a part of your giving life. And then let's just see where we're at at the end of the year. You've already done good with the kids. We've got kids coming in. I'm, looks like you guys are going and getting them. So let's bring them in, and when they get here, let's teach them the word of God. Let's teach them the love of God, the kindness of God, so they can be good disciples for what Christ wants them to be. I just would ask you to join with that this morning. And to do a little different this morning, would you stand with me today? I'm going to say a prayer of benediction. And uh, we ask God to be with us. Now, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the West Alexandria Church of the Brethren. Every member in this church has sacrificed something for you and for your glory. And I pray, God, you continue to use us and to stretch us out to do what you want us to do, Lord, for the glory of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for all those who went before us and laid such a good foundation. Let us live that out. Let this church be your missionary-minded people, serving a missionary-minded God. We ask you to hear us now, Lord, and to use us for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. God bless.